You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Yeah, boy, here we are. Another X-Men show. It's crazy, man. This is like several shows in a short amount of time. Last week was the first time I did two shows in one week. Give me some feedback on that. Let me know if that was cool. Obviously, I did a different one. I had a topical episode with my man, Phil Labonte, from All That Remains. That was very controversial. There's a lot of opinions on both. <laughs> a lot of... A lot of high heated emotions on both sides of that issue but i like doing stuff like that I, I i don't want the show to be repetitive so let me know if you guys like that if you liked having more shows in one week let me know if you like having stuff that is topical tell me you know if you're like yo doc you're fucking up i'm 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 all ears but yeah it's been an interesting week got to go i, I got a Big group of people went to go see Black Panther. Like I had like 14 people with me. It was pretty amazing. And I really, really liked the movie. And for some reason, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that it was shrouded in controversy, like everything. Like, like nothing can just exist on its own and just be something. And I guess a film like the Black Panther is by its very existence political. And I get that. And it, truthfully, it wasn't until I actually saw the film that I really understood the gravity of what it was. And it wasn't a perfect film. Thought it was a little slow to get going, but once it actually fully got to the end, it um, it kind of hit a, f- a bunch of markers that I don't think I'd, I have ever seen in something that big and that that took up that much gravity in pop culture. And it really is an, an, an important film. And I think that's actually difficult for a lot of people to understand. And I, I had a couple interactions on Twitter, coincidentally with our, with our friend Phil Labonte, so he, he responded, so sorry to put you on blast, uh, Phil, but but I think this is actually relevant. Um, so he responded to a Michelle Obama tweet where she said that Black Panther success celebrates young people will finally see superheroes that look like them. And 
you know, I guess that this was the first time that happened. And, you know, he said, well, she didn't see Blade or Independence Day. I don't know if that's a superhero movie. Uh, Spawn or that Spawn or that Storm uh, was a leader in the X-Men who was played by Holly Berry. Um, she obviously hadn't seen the X-Men movies, but yeah, Black Panther is the first. He's being sarcastic, meaning it's not the first. And what I responded to him was Black Panther is different. And if you don't get it, it's okay. You just don't get it. And I, and I understand how kind of in, a, in of itself, it almost sounds like it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. But what I actually, I actually went into some depth on that. And I'll actually, you know, I'll just read what I said and kind of explain it. Um, he said, I get the writer and cast and lots of people working on it were black, but the idea that's the first just doesn't make sense to me. And I said, that's only part of it. What makes it special and first is that it establishes aspirational and cultural mythology for black people and specifically American black people that ties them to a lost heritage. It's what Tolkien did for British mythology. It's really big. When black skin has historically been regarded as less than and Africa itself has been mired in the third world, colonized, exploited, and stifled in infighting, Mythology that sees a different path can impact a culture forever. Your response tells me you don't understand that importance. And what I'm saying is that's okay. We all don't have to get everything. There's a reason why a band like Amon Amarth has connected so much. They've utilized fantastical mythology to connect people around the world to Anglo-Norse culture. People connect on a specific level. Myth-making defines cultural identity. The UK has King Arthur, Robin Hood, James Bond, Harry Potter. American mythology spotlights the John Wayne mythos of the rugged pioneer cowboy. It doesn't matter if it's accurate, it reflects the culture to this day. It's really complex, and I didn't really get it till I saw the movie. So that's kind of summing that up to a certain degree. And to Phil's credit, he basically said, wow, why hasn't someone explained it that well? Thank you. So shout out to Phil. But what I think is, is that when you are always represented, when people emphasize uh, how representation affects them, it, it seems trivial to you. Like I saw another tweet by some woman that said that people that go out of their way to emphasize that Wakanda isn't real um, are trying to steal your joy. And another guy, the the amazing atheist who I like, but don't like everything he says, but thought that was ridiculous. I'm just like, yeah, you're just never really going to get it. And part of the reason why I'm, I'm bringing that up here is that I'm someone, I'm mixed race, but I've kind of struggled uh, feeling connected to the black community as a whole, partially because of choices I've made as my career and the scenes I want to hang out in and spend time with. And Unfortunately, American American black culture has kind of decided what corners it's going to stick in. And if I'm not, you know, if I'm not Mr. Hip Hop dude, if I'm not Mr. Whatever, then maybe I'm going to feel disconnected. And it's for, for me to go see a film like Black Panther and feel connected to something and understand that, wow, OK, there, there is something here. It's it just I think, just think it's important for just let have people have their space. Right. Like. Uh, what was that movie? There was a movie called uh, A Serious Man. 
right? It's a Coen Brothers movie. And it, it involves a, a lot of stuff to do with Jewish culture. You know, and I didn't totally connect to the movie like other Coen Brothers movies. But, you know, my friend Luke did. And it, he loved the movie. And that's okay. And everyone doesn't have to get everything, you know, and that's, that's fine. You know, but I, on the other token, I'm not the kind of person where I don't want people to be re- represented just to be there. I don't like tokenism. You know, I don't want, you know, the Oscar's so white. I don't want black people to get Oscar nominations just so that we can check that mark. Or I don't, if you have, you know, if it's Dunkirk and there weren't no black people <laughs> in the, the beach in Dunkirk at the time, why are you just going to stick a black person movie? I don't, I don't like that either. Where like, oh, where everyone has to be there all the time. I think that's kind of bullshit. But I think these moments are important. And the reason why I'm talking about it here, because it does connect to this show. You know, you'll hear later with my guest, AJ Channer from Fire from the Gods, how seeing God forbid influenced his life, how seeing a band like Candiria influenced what he was going to be years later. You know, you guys will hear uh, in a few episodes when I have Tosin Abasi on the show about how a guy like that opens up the possibility for people. And this is why representation is so important, but it's also important that they are there for being good, not because they're just some, you know, that they were just put there, just, oh, we need to have enough black people here or whatever, enough women or gay people or whatever. So I'm kind of getting it from both angles, and I think it really ties to what I do on this show. So, so I, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean for things to get so serious, guys. I can't help it. Sometimes, you know, you just watch like Malcolm X like 50 times in a row, and you're like, yeah, man, shit. God damn it. Whitey up in my ass. No, I'm just kidding. I love Whitey. My dad's Whitey, so it's cool. <laughs> Jesus, I'm going to hell. So, guess what, guys? We have a show sponsor, all right? And you know how excited that makes me. There's a band, a really, really good band from Tampa, Florida called Aegea, and I'm going to play a song. This one is called Chasing Yesterday. They just released a music video for it, and I think you guys are really going to like it. Check it out.
Boom. So that was Aegea. And you spell that. It's A-E-G-E-A. And that song was called Chasing Yesterday from a brand new EP they just released called Through the Static. It's available on all digital retailers, iTunes, Spotify. You guys know where it is. And also check their website, agiaofficial.com. And they also have a show coming up. If you're in the area, the Tampa area, they're playing at the State Theater in St. Petersburg on March 23rd, which is a Friday. I really enjoyed that song. That's a re- that was really good. Kind of had a you know a little seven dust uh, groove vibe going on there. I was feeling that. You know, Doc Cole's up in here grooving. You know, punching himself in the face. That's what I do. You know, I get very 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 hateful. You know, I'm just like, oh oh, the song is good. Uh, uh. I'm just kidding. I don't do none of that shit. I just I just be feeling it. You know, so definitely check those guys out. Remember when you support the bands that support this show, you help keep the train running. And one thing I could say, if you are interested in supporting the show and getting a song played, you gotta remember, listen, this isn't the biggest show in the world. We do have a nice audience, but I know for a fact, a lot of industry people listen to this show. And so if you are a band, remember the, you know, it's never not necessarily how many people listen, it's who's listening. So if you have a good track, right person hears it, Maybe something can happen for your band. No promises, though. But if you are interested in sponsoring this show, please send me a message on social media. Twitter, it's at Doc Coyle and Instagram. And also, my Facebook is my name. You could also drop me an email at the X-Men podcast at gmail.com. Remember, that's EX. Big shout out to AGF. That was a kicking ass song. Also want to shout out our show's sponsor, Rockabilia.com. You know them. You love them. They are the one-stop shop for all the band merchandise that you need. And you know what? You know what they have over there. You guys probably know this. They got Black Panther merch. You know, if you think if you if you're like a new dude, you just saw the movie. You're ready to join the revolution. You go over there, you get you a Black Panther shirt, and then you get the brother nod. And if you don't know what the brother nod is, that's when you like a black dude sees another black dude, and you cross each other, and you just give them the just the one like little. Your chin goes up just about half inch. And you see each other, and that's it. And there's no more contact. But you might get one of those. You have a dope Black Panther shirt, or he might think you are, you know, the colonizer coming to appropriate his culture, and then he might punch you square in the chest. I can't really tell you, but the shirt is still dope. So you got to go over to rockabilia.com to get that, and you got to use the X Men discount code. Guess what? Fifteen percent off. Use the code PCEXMAN. That's PCXMAN rockabilly.com hit them up now with all that business out of the way i'm gonna get into my conversation with my main man aj channer i've known this dude for probably like 10 years and you'll kind of hear in the in the conversation we it's just we keep running into each other over the years he's been in bands i've been in and out of bands and i think there's a reason sometimes why you just the same people it's like that energy of of people just out there Kind of, you know, it's like I, I quit my stuff and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just kind of stuck around and just put myself in the right place. And the same thing with him. I just saw him out there just working, being involved. And his band Fire from the Gods is doing great. And I've had a criticism from some people. I'm not going to name names, you know, that, you know, maybe my show relies on on grabbing people who were maybe of the past or not as much of the moment. So 
I kind of want to counter that and, and bring more people that it's not like, hey, let's bring out this person who was in this band. Let's talk to someone who is doing something right now. Um, and that's not to discredit the other people on my show, because I think, unfortunately, when you have accomplishments of yesteryear, people kind of tend to uh, outgrade that from what you're doing currently. But with that said, uh, Fire From The Gods is a very exciting new band. I definitely think you should check their stuff out. And if you haven't, check out this conversation. If you like what you hear, go check their stuff out. So here's my main man, AJ Channer. bumping and this is the crown so so for those you don't know crown royal is the the uh the drink du jour of of our our brothers in metal Pantera, you know uh so he got the he got the big jug they call that the jug the jug so we a couple handle we we a couple fucking jug heads up in here and so aj my man. Yes, my brother. Doc, what's going on? Been, <laughs> what's up, kid? Dude, you hear that voice? That's a, that's a man's voice. <laughs> up in here. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. How long, so you have to actually answer this question. Because okay. the first time I remember meeting you was in that venue in the UK. Was it the UK or was it Europe? or? No, so, we met in Iowa. I, so we met before that. The I, yeah, the Iowa Metal Fest. Yes. See, I don't remember the Iowa. I remember hanging out in that where like the venue where they had the beds and you oh, guys yeah. were staying there. Yes, sir. We were on the uh, the he- the uh, Hell on Earth tour. Yes. And what 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 band were you? So actually, first I, I was in a band called Six Seed at the time, but I was Six hanging Seed, out okay, with yeah. um with Randy and Lemma God. Man, I was hanging around Randy. I was like just at the Iowa thing. No, uh, in uh, Iowa, I was in Six Seed. Yeah. And it was with full-blown chaos and... No, I remember that festival. And uh, and you guys. You guys had Yeah, yeah. It was um, that, God that was, forbid. That, was, that festival was, um, how yeah. do we say, unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all, got, we all got shafted on some money, man. I mean, we got paid because our, our guarantee was kind of small, but I, I was back there with Ray and, uh, and you guys and everybody trying to get paid from this dude that kind of like did a runner. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it happens. I mean, it's one of those things, like I remember back then... You know, a lot of these little festivals, especially in the Midwest, where they just want any name. Of course. Because they're small fests. And it's like always some person who's very eager and very like, they're not bad people. They just not. They just don't. Yeah, they just don't know the business. And so they, what happens is they end up giving you an offer that for us is like too good to say no. Of course. But it's all one of those offers that's almost too good to be true. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, so sometimes, so like our agents, he'd be like, all right, so <laughs> there's some guy. So what we some need, rando, right? Well, usually it's like so, something like that. They'll get fifty percent up front, right? Of course, the deposit. Yeah, you know. But if they're really nervous, they're like, "We need a hundred percent deposit because we yeah. don't trust this dude." You know what, man? I was just saying to the homies the other day that with Fire from the Gods, we've been fortunate on this like three year kind of run that we've had as a band, um, as a reignited kind of band. Uh, we haven't dealt with that, you know. And I was like, "Yo, yeah. back in the day, What's, I it's was a little different now." Chasing down some promoter, yo, going to the dude's house. Let's go to the ATM right now. Yeah, but we haven't had to do that, man. We've been fortunate, and they had a, we only got stiffed once. But the show was shot as hell. It was in some show in Georgia. So with that band, like, how did first off, how did you even end up in the states? First off, because like, uh, you're born, from, yeah, you're yeah, from- I, was, I was born in New York. Okay, I was born in New York, and I left when I was young. Um, you know, I was 
uh, going living here in New York, living in the states, and then went to UK, and then went to Africa. Where where in the UK? London. You, you live in Africa. Yeah, too. yeah. Got, got that then, prop, it's proper safe, bro. Yeah, safe, mate. Safe. Yeah, the London two twos, man. The Cockney that. But um, you know, my mom lived here, and then my my whole family was basically here in New York. So I eventually came back to New York in two thousand after being in Ghana. Uh, West Africa for about three and a half years. What, what, so you have family in, in Ghana? Nah, man. My mom just like, you know, Africans have this thing. But my mom's not, you know, from born in Africa. You know, we're obviously African of descent. But Africans have this thing where they send their kids back. If they're born abroad, they send their kids back to Africa for like re-education. Re-education? Is yeah. this like positive re-education? Yeah, yeah, like, for okay. sure, for sure. You know, get in touch with your roots. Go, go okay. to And the, the schooling systems are the old British school system. So... The educational uh, levels and standards are extremely high. Okay, way better than anything we've got in the states. Uh, listen, I was told recently they were shitholes. Yeah, just... no, it's it's <laughs> insane, insane. They want to call their country a shithole. That's fine. That's their right. Yeah. But you, who knows nothing about their country, to call it a shithole, stop. Yeah. But um. So you went you went there. And I went to Ghana, and uh, my mom had some friends that she worked with. She was a nurse in the, in the Bronx, and they were like, "Yo, we're sending our kids to Ghana." And my mom got in, the, in her head. That's a great idea. <laughs> Let me send my random westernized kid to to Africa by himself. Yeah, that sounds great. I was so against it. Couldn't stand it. While I was there, I learned, I picked up two languages. That now that I really don't speak that much anymore, but picked up two languages, learned a whole different aspect and a side of culture that I'd never been exposed to. Well, that, well here's, here's the main thing that I think that teaches you. And listen, you, you tell me if I'm, I'm fucking up here. But I think that teaches you adaptability. Yes. It teaches you to be like uncomfortable and like figure out, all right, how do I survive in a place Very where I so. don't know this, I don't know this, and I got to figure it out. And then it makes you unafraid. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It built like confidence and fearlessness in me. I dealt with a lot of bullshit when I first got there. What, age, I, what ages were you there? I was 12 to 16. So basically, like you're going through puberty and shit. Oh yeah, you're like, like my formative years. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, hard. I was getting picked on a lot. Like, oh, you, this kid, you're this, you're that. You know, uh, over there, they're like, any Westernized kid, they're like, yo, you're a white man. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. then that's crazy because what, growing up in the West, we're like, yo, I'm black. You know, and you got to be <laughs> black and proud, and you got to stand up for your rights. And no, you then they, they call you white because of the way you talk or the way you behave. Yeah, dude. So I used to snap. And then yeah. get my ass beat by these strong ass African kids. <laughs> you feel me? <laughs> so it was like, you know, it, it, it was it was a trial by fire. And then while I was there, man, I was like in, in misery. But now I look back on it and I'm like, damn, I really wish I took the opportunity yeah. to get the fullest and best that I could get out of that but that's, situation. But that's the problem when you're a teenager is you're an asshole. Exactly. Dickhead. You, you think, obviously you think you know everything, but you also don't, you haven't actually figured out the main element in life that in order to get good at something, things have to suck. Exactly. Like, or that in order to get a good positive outcome, I actually have to go through some shit that yeah. I don't want to. It's adversity only adversity builds character, man. Yeah. And, I, and, and so that's just, yeah, it takes a very special young person to right. get that at a, at a, I didn't have that shit. I was lazy as shit. Word. My grandfather would be calling me up Saturday mornings, doctor, yeah, I have to yeah. go and mow the lawn. I'm like, motherfucker, it's Saturday. Mow the lawn. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my only day to sleep, please. He would, like, we'd have all kinds of chores, have to paint the house, fucking do oh, all this. Oh, man. Hated it, but, you know, I'm sure somehow some of that uh, work ethic kind of bled into me somehow, even though I still feel like I'm lazy, but. Yeah, you pick, you know what? It's, it's What's kind of crazy, too, is like you pick up things that you don't even know you're picking up. 
And now that I'm a lot older and I can look back, I'm like, damn, I got that from my mom. Yeah. I got that from my dad. You know, wild shit. My dad's a rowdy-ass Jamaican. You know, <laughs> so our attitudes, my temper, quick to flare up, and I'll, I'll lose it. You know, I'm like, damn, man. And, you know, not even being raised around my dad so much, but I picked that up from him. Yeah, it's 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 osmosis, man. It's like, yeah. well, I guess osmosis. It's uh, it's genetics. It's who who knows? You know, there's you know the whole nature versus nurture thing kind of exactly. never never really ends. So you when you head back, did you head back to UK? Or you went back to America very shortly. Went to the UK, and um, my mom was like, I was like, I want to come to New York. I want to come home. She was so, in New York. Yeah, she was in New York. She was a nurse in New York, and uh, she was like, Yeah, come home. So then I went to the Bronx, and then went to high school in the Bronx. You're like, a man, you're like a man of the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like my um, my grandmother calls me the the diplomat. <laughs> yeah, and her friends used to call me. My grandma's a Muslim, you know, so she goes to mosque and stuff. That'd be a good so name for one sisters, of your re- records, the diplomat. Yeah, word like yo, Cameron, some Cameron shit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So she she uh, she used to call me the diplomat and the mayor. They used to make fun of me as a kid, man. But yeah, you know my my upbringing taught me a lot, man. How did you get into um heavy music? Uh, you. Someone asked me this today in a in an interview. So you know, most well, that's, kids, you know, Doc comes with the most unique questions that you've <laughs> never been asked. No, no, no. How do you mean like that, bro? You know what I mean? I, I'm yeah, just trying I, to think about the answer that I gave because I wasn't that satisfied with the answer. So I want to give the real one. Um, you know, most kids like listen to Metallica or something around my age group, and then they were like, "Yo, this is heavy. I like metal," and they start listening to other heavy stuff. But I didn't really dig Metallica, man. I went to a show in the Bronx in uh, Throg's Neck. And, like, this band was playing, like, Rage covers. Yeah. And I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? You were, you were a child of the 90s. Yeah, very much so. And I heard Rage Against the Machine, and I was like, this is insane. And then I heard Slipknot, and I was like, this is insane. Then I heard Meshuggah. I was like, what the fuck? Then I heard Candiria. I went to uh, Lemoore's. In 01 and saw Candir. I was like, what? Blown away. Yeah. It's like, this is a black dude. You know, and, and not even to pump the shit up. But then I heard God forbid. And I was like, yo, son got the dreads. Yeah. These are black dudes. <laughs> what? Yo. It when was- I heard Meshuggah the first time, I heard Chaos Fear. Yeah. I asked my homie. I straight up asked him. I was like, yo, these are white guys? There was too much groove and too much rhythm in the music. I was like, these are white dudes? Like, metal white dudes? Sweden, man. It's, he was it's like, just- yeah. So it's going on. It's yeah, then the I heard in Flames, man. I heard Clayman, that record, and I was like, yo. So you kind of, in, I'd say in a, in a lot of sense, too, being in that area, in like New York, New Jersey, yeah. there was a, already a scene Very much of so. really cool, eclectic, uh, it was heavy, but like you take a band like Candiria, they were bringing elements that no one was really doing, or at least right. the way they were doing it. Exactly. You know, bringing hip-hop in, bringing... Mm-hmm. It, was, it was so New York. The jazz fuse. Yeah, yeah, very New York. Very indicative of the people that lived in New York, you know? Yeah. Then Eton Concrete. Yeah. And it was like, yo, hard-ass dudes from Jersey, like, that rough blue-collar life. And then you get that, and then you're like, yeah, I'm a poor kid, man. You know, he was like, talking about food stamps and shit. You're like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I swear by those bands. <laughs> Me too, man. Feel me? You know... That's 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 my shit. I'm I've been uh back and forth with Anthony about doing the show. He's he's ant money in real life, so yeah, you know yeah, he's yeah. busy. Oh. He's like, yo, Doc, um, I'm on a private jet right now. I'm not getting very good sales service. I'll I'll talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. What? So, that's sick. So well one day, one day, Anthony, he will yeah, be yeah, I can't, yeah, no, yeah, seriously. Sick, I, I really want to get him on the show. But um so yeah, so you're in that area and you you so you have this very 
modern uh person of your kind of era like the way right like yeah. yeah you should be getting into metal off of rage of course yeah, for that's, sure, man. you know that's that's what was going that's on that's what we were doing exactly that's what with hip-hop these days when people talk about cultural appropriation and why white people do hip-hop and yo this dude shouldn't have dreads and blah 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 he's like that's crazy especially for american kids because they grew up in an era where hip-hop was a thing yeah that was their music they identified to that yeah you know so that's what i, I identified to 90 shit which is rock and metal. Now, did being international, being someone who's like, I spent a lot of time in the UK, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in Africa, did that give you kind of a different sense about American black culture? Because American black culture is so like insular, right? It's like, yeah. it. there's not a lot of uh, outlets to say, hey, I'm not gonna just mess with the, the Lil Wayne mixtape. I'm right. gonna go check out rancid or something like it's it's like what what it's like it's very much like the cult as, as they say the culture yeah yeah for um, sure is very much of kind of one mind and that's not to say there's not diversity within that but do, uh did you feel like you identified with american black culture or was you because i feel like almost everyone because especially i've had a lot of black artists on on the show lately and it's that thing of I wasn't accepted over here. I wasn't accepted over here. Uh, yep. You know, we were very obscure, and that that time, you know, we were talking about that because that that meme that they put up about Lil Uzi Vert spinning the cube at Astor Place. In I, have, the city. I, have, I have not seen this. It's so funny. I'm gonna show it to you later. He's wearing like these wide leg, like Jinko looking pants and some chains, and he's got like the colored hair, so he looks like one of them cube rats. Kids I used to hang out in Astor Place, but and I was telling my girlfriend about this how. That, that to us was like this meeting, this hub of kids from New York City, from like minority people of color that came from the culture and had to find some sort of commonality with each other because we liked heavy music. Yeah. We were into skateboarding. Well, yeah, New York was a little different because it's so Very intermingled. So. Yes. And it's like, yeah, you got people skateboarding and over yeah. here. You got graffiti people over here. Like, that's one thing I actually like about New York when I like about LA mm -hmm. was we'd be like rock metal hardcore dudes but we would go to dance clubs we would oh, go to yeah. hip-hop clubs yeah and you would and run into the same people at mixing all the it events up, mixing it up a bit la is a lot more like here are the rock and roll people right here right. like i don't know really know anyone who goes to clubs out like it's like i'm completely segregated from that For sure. and i and i except like i feel like downtown is kind of like that like downtown, downtown is like yeah i've yeah, never it's really like, hung out down there i want to i've hung out in hollywood obviously. it's like being in bushwick Oh, where? It's like warehouse parties yeah. and raves. Yeah, and that's, my, that's my speed. I yeah. like that. It's like a little, like, it's just, you know, like, you know that band Bad Rabbits? Yeah. I saw them down there, and it was like, you know, and they're like an R&B band, but there's like metal dudes there. There's hipsters there. There's like, you know, there's just a different kind of kind of vibe to it. And I, that's one thing I actually do miss about New York. No, right. You know, no, no joking. So how soon did you actually start? playing in bands and getting involved in the scene instead of just um, being a fan man just right in, in high school man i joined this band and i was such a bad vocalist in high school I so was what terrible. were you doing were you screaming were you rapping were you were... i was like screaming i was doing rage covers i was trying to be i was in this uh slipknot cover band called tonk pills did you wear the mask nah nah we, on, we had no do... money we had no money for no mask and jumpsuits you, man you, <laughs> you get, some, know you get some cardboard and a burlap sack you better yeah. <laughs> you better put you you we have to we weren't that creative and we thought we were dope as hell though because like yo we do slipknot we play slipknot sound like nobody's fucking with slipknot you know but we were trash <laughs> and you know what I'm saying but you just got i and i always just wanted to do it man i played drums for a little bit but i wasn't a very good drummer yeah. but then i wanted to be a vocalist and i was like yo i want to do this so i moved to virginia 
when it really started happening what, what for part? Me in Norfolk. Okay. Virginia Beach area. So did you know like uh like Mike Terry and all that? Yeah. Like- I met Mike Terry when he was in that band Cassius. Okay. And we talk about that a lot. Way back, you know, Mike had the dreads and he was roaming around Richmond, uh, Virginia. By and- the way, I I'll just say this for the audience. If there's like a black dude in metal and you roll up to him, it's like very stereotypical, like, oh, do you know this guy? The answer is yes. Yeah, yeah, we, we probably do know. We, yeah, we know like, each other. Like, not in the real world. Like, if you just roll to a random black person, like, do you know this other black person? That's Don't do that. That's racist. Yeah. But if it's a metal <laughs> yeah. dude, we probably do know each other because it's like a little, it's like, yo, what's yo, up? Yo, you I go to a you, party, you go to a show, like, yo. Even if, you don't ever, even if you've never met them, it's just, you was like, yo, what's up, man? I see you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man. So I went to Norfolk, man, and I linked up with this band called Six Seed, and that's where we did the Iowa Metal Fest. Yeah. Uh, and um, so you were young. I was. I was about. I want to say around that. That I was maybe twenty. Okay. I was twenty. Um, and getting into it, and you know, I first started out. I wanted to be their booking agent because I wanted to learn the business of music. So I went and interned for this booking agency that did only hip hop and reggae. And he was like, "Yo, you can. You want to do some rock stuff? I'll teach you. You find your bands and you can grow them." So their vocalists was actually a dude called Rob Petrie. He left and went to join Halo of Locusts. Yeah, with was, uh, Randy Bly, right? Yeah, with Randy's other band. He went and joined uh, Halo of Locusts. So they were like, yo, we need a vocalist. And I went and tried out. And they were like, yo, you can do it. So it, from there, it just kind of just took off. We started like doing little regional tours. Now, it seems like from like the bands you've been in that you definitely got a foothold like in the hardcore scene, metalcore scene, whatever yeah, you yeah, want to sure. call it. So that band was like in that world? Yeah, very much so. It was just like really heavy. So it, it had a Southern kind of vibe to it, but it was just super like heavy. It sounded like old throwdown. Yeah. Is like that stuff hardcore. online? Can you find it? You know what, man? I've seen it somewhere, but I wasn't on the original uh, okay. recording. So I joined the band, took off for the vocalist, and we never really recorded anything because we went on a tour. And uh, our guitar player and drummer got into a fight in Rochester. No, Buffalo. Tore the sink off the fucking wall in the hotel. Who did that? Uh, our drummer and our guitar player just got into a nasty bust up. Oh. I was probably like 22. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I'm like, what the fuck? I was on tour. I didn't know. I was freaking out. Yo, these niggas, are, they battling in the bathroom. They about to kill each other. What the fuck? Yo, and, if, you, uh, if you hit a motherfucker with a, with a, kid, with yo, a bathroom with sink. sink. <laughs> sink was ripped off the wall. So that was the end of that band. And we were yeah. going to record another like record once we got back off that tour, but... Didn't work out. So I ended up doing merch and tour managing Halo of Locusts. Yeah. Met Randy. Spent a good like month on the road with Randy and those guys, which was a, an eye-opening experience. Yeah, well, you get, being around someone that has that wealth of experience and actually understand... Here's the thing about Randy Very makes him so. special is that obviously they're one of the most successful bands in, in heavy music, but that dude, it's like they got nominated for a Grammy. He didn't even go. Right. Like, he really doesn't care. And he, he'll do that and then go play with Hail of Locusts and play in front of 50 people. Yeah. He's unapologetic people. about who he is. Yeah. And that's what I, I respected about him. He lived in Jamaica for a bit, too. I, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, like, speaking Patois and shit, you know? So, and we, I, uh, yeah, I have this thing when I'm on tour, which I did back then and I still do today. If I go to a city, I look for a Jamaican restaurant. Okay. I look for Jamaican food. So I would find Jamaican okay, food. Okay, outside of the beef patty, what, what what's the shit we need to be yeah, fucking? Curry goat. Curry goat? Steamed fish. Steamed fish. Steamed fish. You okay. Got oxtail. I don't really fuck with oxtail, but people this is love very, oxtail. This is very 
carnivorous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I mean, yeah, if you eat meat and shit, you know, but I eat a lot of fish, so um, shrimp, seafood, you know what I mean? Like, Jamaicans are known for really good cuisine. All that culture's mixed up in that one tiny little island. Word. But, um, so, you know, Randy would like, your rude boy, Wagwan, you know, he'd, he'd come through with his little Patois accent, and we speak like By the Patois way, did you see shit. the footage of him singing with the Bad Brains? No, I didn't. You gotta check it out. They, they, it was like in some like record store or some art gallery or what? something. Yeah, he only did like I think like four songs, or whatever. That's but dope. Yeah. So you know, Randy's legit. That's what's up. Randy, Randy's the man, dude. So from the Halo of Locust stuff, I joined this band called Murder No Motive. We did a full U.S. tour with Forever and Terror. They had just got picked up by Metal Blade. They were like a development band, mm-hmm. and they were gonna go on their first summer tour, and. uh Dave Dickens, who's now my manager for Five and the Guards, was the booking agent at the time with Thunderdome. Dan Rosenblum was it was the guy that owned Thunderdome back then. And uh they put us on this full US tour, man. And I got a taste of really touring really hard. Like with Succeed, we would do small regional tours, weekend warrior shit, two weeks here. But that was a month and a half. And that was a really good tour. Went everywhere all over the United States. But I came back and I had this feeling like, I don't know, should I do this? had this girl that was putting a lot of pressure on me. Pressure on you to what? Like, not do the band? Not do the band and, you know, get a real job, you know? Do Seriously? things that real people do. And, you know, you, and at the, the age group, I was maybe around that time, I was about 24. And she put all this pressure on me. So I left Norfolk, went to New York, was like, yo, I'll do the band, I'll, I'll commute. That never happened. Ended up becoming a stockbroker. You became a stockbroker. I did. I worked did, on Wall Street. For, did you go to college for that? or No, I mean, I took. I did go to school, but I left school about a year and a half into it and then went and took my Series 7 and started on the floor. So if you take that test, you can be a stockbroker. You can, but you got to learn how to do it, you know? So yeah. I learned from some really big brokers and really uh, educated guys on, on uh, the floor. On the, the how long floor, did you do so. that? For almost 10 years. Really? So I still you, have a Series 7. Did you learn how to become rich? Are you rich now? We, <laughs> I'm broke as shit now, but I, I mean, I did look, you know, but that, uh, I heard again, you own Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> heard you, he you funny. I, I, I heard you did a deal. Yeah, blood. <laughs> but I learned, I learned a lot, man. I did make some money and, you know, I lost money. And, you know, when you're young in your 20s living in New York City and you get a, a couple of dollars in your pocket. You're oh, acting a fool. You're acting a fool. You know what I mean? No, I lived that, in Tribeca but, for a little bit. I was wilding out. But let me, but let me ask you this though. Did you? What was that culture like? Like, is it what we think of? Is it the the, the cliches? Uh, very much so. But there's, again, <laughs> it's, it, you know what? It, again, this was another part of building my character, me being the person that I am today or the man I am today, so to speak. But um, you got people from all walks of life and the ideology and the mindset is when you go in in the morning, you're all at zero. Everyone starts at zero. Yeah. It's what you do during the 12, 14, 15 hours of the day. By the way, how, how you guys heard that? He didn't mention the word eight hours. He went right from 12 yeah, to 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were putting in the work. When I was going <laughs> to work, I worked for a company that was based in the States but did most of their business in the UK. So I was up at 2 a.m. in the office by 3, 4 a.m. just to wake up in time for the UK to solicit people to start investing in the States. So there, you know, I did that for about 10 years. And then one and were day... And were you doing bands at the same time, or is that all you no, did? No, that was all I was doing. I was still going to shows. I was still trying to keep, uh, connect, be connected with the scene. That's insane, man. That's, like, so crazy that, so, like, that you you were gone 
technically gone, however you want to put yeah, it, for, a while. for that long. Yeah, yeah, I was, you know. And so back in like 2010, I, I got one day, I was just in the office and I was like, I can't take this anymore. And I said, I want to be in, I want to have an outlet. I want to be in a band again. Maybe I'll just do some weekend warrior shit. I don't got a tour. I don't have to like try to make it, so to speak. And I found Ashes Within. And I found them on Craigslist. They were the first band that popped up <laughs> on Craigslist. So I was yo, like, let I me got, see. I got a gig from K- Craigslist, so I can't talk shit. Word. Yeah, you know what I mean? And then, yo, I went and saw these dudes in Brooklyn. And yo, I was like, yo, this band is heavy as fuck. Hell yeah, I want to be in this band. We did our thing for a little bit. I got in touch with Dave. And I was like, Dave, who was uh, my booking agent when I was in Murder No Motive, got in touch with him. He's like, I'm actually working with Sumerian Records now. I was like, oh, shit, okay. Yo, that's the label right now. No doubt. Um... We're doing this Battle of the Bands thing called Headbang for the Highway. I want you to be on it. I've always believed in you. I've always thought you had something. So I joined Ashes Within Played. We won the first round, which was in upstate New York and Albany. Went on to do the second round, which was in Jersey. Was that at the Champs? Yeah, that was at Champs. Yeah, yeah. With Ashes Did I Within. run into you there? Because I, I, I forget. I feel like... or. I we just think- run into each other randomly yeah. at shows or some <laughs> shit like Knotfest when Fire from the Gods. I'm like, yo, Doc's out here. And then then you were working at Dust for a minute. I was like, yo, the homie Doves. And then we... We the, did that, the- that benefit show you, you were at. Remember where you sang? Oh, and then yeah. Home- oh, Homer was fucking up the song. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't even... Yo, you were like, yo, you should have let me play guitar. I was like, I should have let you play guitar. I couldn't believe it, man. When we did Allison Chains and my man... I, yeah, you know, we're, I, Listen, it's a homie, so I can't... Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not even... Yo, I feel shout bad. out. That's right. Shout out. It happens. You know. It's all good. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. That's gonna, be a, like, that's gonna be a sample. I had, to, I had to cut it short. I was like, "Yo, all right, eh, rest in peace, Nightcrawler. We out." Yeah, blood. But um, oh, by the way, shout out to Nightcrawler. Yeah, Steve. yeah, Nightcrawler yeah, Steve. yeah, yeah, yeah. Rest in um, peace. The Duff's crew, you know, Three of Cups, and all that. You know, word. But um, you know, I always just had this desire to just. I was like, man, I can't be in the suit and tie, sitting here doing this right now. I had this innate desire that I had something that I wanted to say. Yeah. And while we were recording Narrative with David Bendiff, he asked me a really deep, like, kind of question that no one's ever posed to me. He was like, you, you, you seem very angry, pissed off about something. And he was like, do you feel like you got looked over as far as the scene was concerned, as far as the music industry? Because when I was in Murder and Motive and Six Seed, bands like Norma Jean were starting to make their name. Underoath was starting to become a huge success. But I had played local shows with those guys. You know, um, full-blown chaos was out there doing their thing. Autumn to ashes. So, I know what you're saying. Listen, I, I know exactly. You, you know exactly chip, what we're you, talking about. You had that chip on your shoulder. Exactly. I came, I went into it with that chip on my shoulder, and he was like, yo, did you feel like you got left behind? I was like, yeah. I felt like seeing all these people, seeing Spencer up there. And being worshipped. Well, not like that, but you kind of skipped over Ashes Within, and what happened? What, so, what, what happened with Ashes Within? So, we we ended up winning the um, the Sumerian uh, Road to the Sphinx. It was called. Well, I don't. You know, you can't really consider it as winning, but why Ash uh, offered instead of giving one band a full recording contract, he said, "I like five bands. I like aspects of five different bands. So, what I'm going to do is offer." developmental contracts yeah so it'll help you kind of work through some demos and very see, much so. see who kind of makes it through to the it's like getting prospects and then yeah exactly and you're just sifting through not everyone's going to make it to the majors exactly but. some people took that very negatively but i took that as a win 
It, of course it's a win. I was like, this is another step closer to It's an opportunity. It's exactly. an opportunity you didn't have yesterday. Exactly. And I tell that to a lot of young bands, man. I'm like, yo, take that show. Do that. Don't shy away from doing this because you never know. That might be that day when not someone's going to come up to your door and say, hey, you're about to make a million dollars playing rock music. But if this is what you really want to pursue, maybe you should take that opportunity. Everything is a win. Yeah. Well, now that you're like, let's say your band doesn't end up winning the thing or getting the contract. You're making relationships. Exactly. You're meeting people. Yes. You're actually, you're learning about how the music industry works. Exactly. Hey, if even if it doesn't happen, why didn't work? Maybe it was because we didn't do this right. Maybe because the songs weren't there. Maybe because we didn't work hard enough. And, you Very know, a right. lot of people don't understand. This is, listen, this isn't me. This is anyone who has been successful. And I consider myself who's been moderately successful. But people have been way more successful than me understand that all the knowledge is in the failures, mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes you got to do something and it doesn't work out. Say, all right, that didn't work out for me. What did I learn from that? You know, what and, did I didn't say like, I, I learned a thousand ways not to make a light bulb before <laughs> you actually got the real one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so every, um, a lot, what I tell a lot of kids too is we forget as artists to be, to put on the businessman hat as well. And you have to, uh, in some ways, wear that hat as a businessman and be the artist at the same time. And that's really hard. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm still learning how to maneuver and how to cycle between the two and, and the dynamic between the two because I want to be very creative, you know. We just released a video, Evolve, and I directed that video. Yeah, it's really good. I wanted that outlet, my creative outlet, to, to really shine at this point because I've had these ideas and I wanted to put pen to paper, so to speak. Yeah. But um, so we got that contract when going back to the Astros, then we got the contract and we were putting music out and Sumerian wasn't really feeling it. Yeah. I got a little frustrated, which is natural. Uh, the band got a little frustrated. Should we continue? Were you guys shows? still out in New York? Or we you were, were. We were in Brooklyn. Should we continue to play shows? Uh, should we try to get them some tours? You know, what's the label going to do for us? We went through this long contract process before. You felt you, you were in like band limbo. Very much so, exactly. Yeah, there you go. And uh, the opportunity came up to join Fire from the Gods. So, yeah, so they were already an existing band? Before? They were already a band. They had been a band since like 07 or some shit. They went through so many different versions of Fire from the Gods. Yeah. They had homie that was in the band, um, Eric July, who, you know, I don't really talk about this, but we've started, now we talk about it because we've really, I think Eric and I are kind of cool now, so... Um, you know, he was in the band and he had his own vibe and they liked that vibe. But Eric had some issues about, I, I guess he didn't really want to, he, he has an idea of how he wants to succeed and you got to respect that about it, about somebody. He has an idea of what he wanted to do and their, their, uh, ideas, the rest of the band weren't with it. So they brought me in and we changed up the style a little bit. We created narrative and now we are where we are today. Well, so, so this was. You know, I think it's so fascinating about how the way life is. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you said, we always kept running to each other. Yeah, yeah. And then you think about it, and you're like, that's not an accident. Yeah, right? and I don't, exactly. I, but, feel, I don't but, really believe in fate, though. Me neither do I. Or destiny. I don't neither like do that. I. I don't like to believe but that. But it's still weird, though, right? Like certain Very people, much so. Because certain, certain people, it's like, like you ever notice a situation where right at that time when you needed a job, you met the right person yeah. and you got a job. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like or like bartending and shit like or that. Or whatever. For sure. Or just anything. Just in life. Like right when 
And listen, it doesn't always work out that way. I know there's certain times where I was struggling. I was like, man, I need a gig, and there yeah, was no yeah, gig. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, things kind of develop. But it's just interesting how certain people are just figures in your life. And it's not the, maybe the most important figure. Or probably, recurring, yeah, recurring, recurring figures and recurring like, presences but, in but your but life. But what I would say, if anything, and, and if it's not just the idea of fate or coincidence, is the fact that you kept pushing. Yeah, the well, yeah, you, very much. You so. kept pushing, and the truth is, I did not know you could do that vocally. Yeah, yeah, I did not, not know. A, a lot of people didn't. I didn't know because every time I saw I knew you, I wanted to, but no one. Because every time I saw you, you were just screaming, screaming. yeah, very, you know, yeah. like kind of heavier, like it was more metalcore beat down, getting the crowd pumped up, mm-hmm. and then. The only time I saw you sing was at that show where the shit was fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I don't, I don't think this nigga can sing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I don't know if he... Like, yo, my man, what's going on? Oh. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I heard that record and I was like... <laughs> well, actually, you know, and and, and you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong, um, that video hit. Which one? Excuse me? Yeah. Okay. And, it's, and then that... The thing that was kind of cool, it's almost like... Things come around, right? Like styles right. Oh, come so around. Yes, it's it's cyclical. I mean, it, and it's it, like if that video had come out five years earlier, people probably would have been hating on it, right? Right. Yeah, of course. But it came out right at the right time where people were like, "Yo, I'm ready for this." Yeah, there's like this resurgence in this new metal yeah. kind of thing, of course. Um, but it was just like I just thought it was pretty undeniable, and I and it just the video looked great. Yeah, Scott the, Hansen. Yo. It's just the way it just the way it looked. I loved the way you were dressed. It had a vibe, right? Like, yeah, not everything yeah, has a vibe. Every, you know, sitting in a fucking, you know, factory and fucking headbanging. I was about to say, a factory with some water dripping. Yeah, sometimes it has a vibe. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't have a vibe. But it had a vibe, and it was it was a little different. Yeah. You know, and then and then, then I'm hearing number one song at Octane. Yeah, yeah, it was wild, fam. Then I listened to the record, and I'm like, wow. Blood, Because I, I, I thought when you, the band, like, when you were talking about the band, and I had seen I. I thought it was more like beat down metalcore. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was that. As in most people, I mean, you know, like uh, a lot of people heard Fire from the Gods before, and they were like, you know, so so it's ha- metalcore mosh music. You so know? had that style? Was that something like you guys had demoed and then showed the label and they're like, all right, well now we're gonna hook you up with this producer? Or did no. that is that how you got the deal? Not at all. How did all the, it come we together? We had two songs, which are on on narrative, um, composition, and pretenders. And we had two vocalists at the time. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember and, that. That was and, at Mayhem. Yeah, I remember yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, sir. And um, uh, they heard Pretenders and Composition, Craig at Rise, and he was like, yo, I, I'll take a shot on this band. But it wasn't like, I'm so intent. This is the new thing. I need this band. He was a, like, yo, but, I'll take a shot. But think about that, though. You're a guy that's... Grinding, working on this band, working oh, on this sure. band. Yeah, yeah. I'm leaving the business. I'm Man, coming back uh, to the business. Ash, um, you know, Samarian offered me a tryout for Velamaya. Yeah. And but I didn't think I was a fit. Yeah. At all for what Velamaya wanted to do. And Lucas, I think, kills it. I think they they are. Oh yeah, he's he's great. They're phenomenal. But right no, now. what I'm saying is like Rise Records. That is not nothing to sneeze at. So no. that's so that's a pretty big deal just getting the deal to begin when with. When I got the text, yo, Rise Records is interested. I was like, what? I was like, man, I feel I'm I'm too old for Rise. I ain't got that look. <laughs> what? You know, I mean, I was like, honestly, you, you want you got to be completely honest. I, I didn't think that I was the fit. Yeah. For that label, but you know, that's a, those are those things that you have to kind of those barriers that you put on yourself. Yeah. 
where you start Listen, to... Listen, I'm going through that now. You got to break through. I'm almost in that boat. I'm like, I don't know if I... Uh, I think I'm losing my looks. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, exactly. do a couple sit-ups. And, and, oh, and yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you got... And, yo, this... I said this... Uh, who was I talking to today? I heard I was talking. I was like, yo, you know, I know you, you can do it, but in the grand scheme, it's a young man's game. Very much so, and, of course. And, you know, generally... It's like that that uh that line from Pulp Fiction. He's like, he's like Butch. <laughs> he's like, you were good. Oh if, yeah. If yeah. you were gonna made it, you would have made it <laughs> by now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and you think about that, like the the uh the the, the washed up boxer. That's almost like a met- oh yeah. That's like a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, of of uh, being past your prime and like. How long do you pursue the dream before it's now okay? Reality kicks in, so well, to speak. not only reality kicks in, but it's like you're that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think shot. about that a lot. Who yeah, shot. yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yo, just like, dude, on the real, for real, yo, I think about that a lot too. I'm like, yo, and but I've got this not because I have youthful exuberance, and I just feel there's an energy, and now there's a message, there's something yeah. that. I feel I have an innate desire, like I've always felt, but now it's stronger than ever. Yeah. And maybe, like Bendis, we had that talk, and he was like, we resolved the, the, the conversation by saying, maybe that wasn't my time. You know, and like oh, I said, I don't I yo. don't really believe in, I don't like to believe in faith because I don't want to put stock in that. I want to put the fact, I want, I want to feel that I, as a person, as a man, have control over my own destiny. Yeah. That's as bo- a human being. Guess what? It's as bullshit. a sentient being. It's yeah, bull- exactly. You it's really bullshit. do. Control. Sometimes. Listen, and they, I'm just like you. I'm like, I can will it to happen, right? You, you, you like read the fucking secret and shit. You're like, yeah. If I just put it on my vision board. Yeah, exactly. My energy. I put my energy out yeah. there. I put my mind to it. I can make it happen. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's but it's that whole thing of give. You know, ostensibly like giving up control to like, all right. Yes. Here's what I can control. Here's what I can't. But guess what? Things are going to happen kind of how they're going to happen. Right. All you can do Regardless, is say... time's yeah. still going to go on. Yeah. In a, you know, in a, in a way, it, it is about... What I think how it works is with the, the hard work thing and the dedication thing mm-hmm. is all you do is kind of put more marbles in that the in the in the in that side of the ledger right. that when the wind blows the right way, a couple of the marbles will okay, roll. Exactly. So it's not that like you have no control. You know... Um, it's you, just, you gotta make, you, I feel though you gotta make your own way. Oh yeah. Because so many times I have left things to the fate, and I said, you know, I'll just roll the dice and see what happens. But in that, I've also learned that I have to use my energy and my my fight, my will to survive, and my will to be successful at something. I gotta go get it. Yeah. So this record. You know, seemingly from my perspective, it seems like it's taken off. Uh, you guys are getting bigger opportunities. You're selling more records. Yeah, like, so you're getting radio play. Like, how did you like take all this in? How did it feel? To, like, kind of get a little validation after all this work. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of that, but it's still always. Um, and I was talking to I was talking to our homie today, Eric German. We were on the phone. I was on the phone with Eric, uh, our lawyer, and who also represents Bad Bad Wolves as well. Uh, Eric. And I was saying, I always want more. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, the, the, the stuff with Octane and, and Excuse Me. At first, Excuse Me was a 2 a.m. kind of like in a mental state freestyle. Yeah. And I was like, yo, I was like, cool, it's all right. I didn't think it was going to be 
a Public Enemy on the track, Public Enemy Number One. That's the song that I thought, Public Enemy. I was like, yo, that's the one I want to do for the video. The concept that I had for, excuse me, I wanted to apply to uh, Public Enemy. But everyone was all about, excuse me, man. And then it took off. So. Well, a lot of times the creator is the one who least gets it. Like with, right. with, with Bad Wolves, Learn to Live, uh, John wrote that whole song instrumentally and Tommy mm -hmm. did it. But so John was like, like I had to convince, and because on the record there's stuff that's a lot more like kind of interesting and like has a different angle. Yeah, it's got a little bit of gent in there, the yeah. little genty but style, it's, but a little it's, metal. It's the most like, at the time, it was the most straightforward thing we had. And I, so mm -hmm. I think it just seemed like, oh, it's a little run of the mill, right? But 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 I no, but, it's got its own flavor to no, it. No no no, you know I'm mean? saying yeah. back then. Just just hear oh, what right, I'm right. saying. Like it. Just keep in mind, this is before anyone had really heard it. Okay okay, I got you. And we're trying to figure out what to do a video for. And mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm like, yo, that's the jam. And he was the one that was like, yeah, are you sure? But he's the one who wrote it. I'm saying he's of too close. When right you're too, right, you're too connected to it. Yeah, when you're, you're too, too close. When you're so close to it, you you don't see. And the only reason so. I knew is because I would play the record for people, and you just see. The reaction, of course. Who, who perks up? What, huh? What's that? Yeah, that that one. That shit is sick, but, dude. So even me, I'm not, I'm not a genius. I'm just, you're just like, you gotta, you gotta, you know, play shit out there and kind of see, see where oh, it goes. That, let me touch back on that, man. That's a very good point that you made because when I met uh, Jeff Cohen and Ash Avildsen, lawyer. By the way, Jeff Cohen, uh, lawyer extraordinaire. Lawyer, yeah, very much um, so. He co-owns. Uh, Samarian, he's he's got he's involved in Samarian. And, he, and if you guys are wondering who he is, he was the lawyer that defended Randy in the uh, As the Palace is Burned documentary. Jeff, yes, he uh he and 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 Randy and, and uh, sorry he and Ash and I met um, Sean Keith all in one day, which was incredible. That maybe five minutes that I spent with those guys was a life changing experience because I learned so much within the time of meeting them. And seeing where their heads were at as far as being industry guys and what they thought about the the music that I created, they said a lot of the times we start to make we we make songs for us, the artists. We 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 play what we want to hear, and a lot of the times that doesn't translate well when it goes to a listener. So we have to take the listener into into uh, uh, in, you have to accept and think about the listen the, the listener and say what do they want to hear. Yeah, well, you I know? think well. I think you have to once you decide this is what I want to do as a profession. Right. And, oh, of course. And it becomes a um, transactional relationship, right? The transaction is, hey, I'm an artist. I give you music that you enjoy. As a fan, I buy your record or I come to the show or I mm -hmm. buy a T-shirt. And yeah, like Eric said, you got to get them to open the wallet. Yeah. Well, you know, you I, I don't see them as dollar signs or yeah. as some means of, of survival, but... You know, the, like you said, it's transactional. But it's here's the, here's the point. I offer a service and I offer a product, and I'd like you to pay for it. Yeah, when it works out, it's win win. They're, exactly. If they love what you're doing. Exactly. If they're giving them what they like. They're satisfied, and they don't mind. No, paying not, for something that they want. Exactly. It's not. A, it's not a, a chore. Exactly. You know? so, yeah. So, so, so to I speak, don't have to support this band just cause it's my buddy's band or some shit like that. Yeah. So it's um it's 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 kind of crazy. So. You guys now, you're going out with the, it's the Of Mice and Men tour? We start the Defy tour. Of Mice and Men's come out with a record called Defy, and we start that tour tomorrow in Santa Cruz. Yes, yeah, so you guys, you've been doing bigger tours. You've been playing in front of people. Like, yeah, you guys man. went out with, you actually went out with, like, P.O.D. and We did, man, yo. How and, was that? Dude, that, that was, 
that was another one of those milestones and another life-changing experience that an artist goes through or a metal kid or just someone goes through, you know, because... That was yeah, Alien Ant Farm and then Power Flow. Power Flow, yo. And exactly, just being around, like, dudes that have had a different idea and a different mindset. Like, we had just come off Warped. So Warped and is the quote-unquote scene. Yeah. That became... They've built the culture based on the scene. And that's primarily most of your fans, right? Is that kind of world? Not even, man. We, yeah. we really go back and forth. And I think that's the beauty of what we've created. And it's not the secret to what we've done, but it's the beauty that it's appealed to people from all walks of life and, and people from that have different taste because some of the, some people like the more metalcore heavy stuff and some people like the stuff like Evolve or the song like The Taste, which is a lot more melodic and a lot more rock and oriented and, and people like that and we deliver it and it's not, it was never intentional to do that. We didn't say this is the type of record we want to, we want to write. We went in there and said, we have a month with David Bendis who just came off of doing Sempaternal and mixing Sempaternal and A Day to Remember and yeah. doing Of Mice and Men's biggest record. Like, we have a month and a half over the holidays to, to produce something. And that was a very stressful period, but we, what we did is what we did, and now people seem to like it. So we learned that what the scene was, you know, doing Warped, and then we went on with P.O.D., a legacy band, uh, Billy, who was in Biohazard, you know, Christian, who was in one of the dopest bands ever, Fear Factory. Send Dog, you know, Send Dog, legend with Cypress Hill, you know what I mean? Even, uh, you know, homie from Worst, uh, Fernando, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So we learned, and Alien Air Farm, I mean, come on, they had f massive songs. They had like eight or ten, like top tens. You Dude, know, I'll, I'll go to I'll go to war with anyone over anthology. That's yeah, bro. You know what I'm saying? So, it, and we we saw a different side of things. And I, I was like, yo, I don't know, I don't want to play another scene tour again. Yeah, because it changed it, it changed just, your whole view. It changed my whole perspective. And then doing like Rock on the Range and doing what you guys you, you're doing the the women's stuff mm -hmm. coming up. So. You know, very much, and you know, you've been around that crew, so you know what's up. You, well, it's such a different I actually, world, I man. actually haven't been, I've never done a Wimmer Festival. Ooh. And for those who are asking, uh, Wimmer Festival is this guy, promoter Danny Wimmer, so he does yeah, AG, Rock, Rock, Rock on the Range, on the range uh, Aftershock, yes, sir. Uh, you know, a bunch of the ones we're doing, uh, Carolina Life, Rebellion, Carolina Rebellion, Chicago Open Air. So basically, he's he's the 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 big game in in hard rock and metal for for festivals right now. I've never done one of those those mm. festivals. Um but I've as with you know the the levels God forbid got to we got to go out on Ozfest. We got oh, to yeah, yeah. we got to do tours with Five Finger Death Punch and Slipknot and have that revelation like you and saying, okay, there's a whole other world out here. Yeah, than the more metalcore stuff. But here's the thing. That is a it is a much more savage world. Oh yeah, it, it, it's oh, yeah. it's very you much. You ain't even lying, brother. It's it's very much like either you're uh, you're big up here or right. it's done. It's there's there's a lot less middle ground where if you're in a hardcore scene or a metalcore scene or an emo scene that is a little more closer to the ground and like I say that like there's a lot of bands that are kind of scene oriented bands when they do a headline show, people aren't necessarily fans of that band that band is just part of the scene so they go to support support yeah. the collective so in a sense you get bolstered like you get like you're on steroids as of a course. band so if you stay within that it means your your basement is a lot higher mm. um good point. and unfortunately if you graduate out of that 
a lot of those fans tend to dissipate because they feel that you're not, you're no longer part of the scene. There are some, um, uh, uh, you know, bands that go against that. There are some exceptions. Right. Like I look at Killswitch. I feel like I feel like people never really left Killswitch because they just kept it kind of real. Yeah, they, just, they just did what they did. Um, they did their thing. You know, a band like Dillinger could kind of go back and forth, and and kind of every time I die, dude. Seemed- I mean, look at Mastodon, man. You know, Mastodon was a was a relapse band doing mathy kind of I would say I, I would noise core I, I don't even know what it was you know Blood and Thunder and all those records I, I, and Leviathan it was just their own it, thing man it, it was, was yeah it was their re- thing relapse fucking rock yo dude I, I, and look at them now man they just got that Grammy you know yeah. and somebody was saying something about yo they didn't deserve it blah 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 who said that I'll I'm punch like, them in their face I saw some you know everybody has their opinion and the worst thing about I think metal fans and this transcends whatever scene you're the hardcore emo Radio Rock, whatever you're into, there's this air of superiority when it comes to opinions. And it becomes like, I know the best thing. I know what's real metal or I know what's real rock. And, you know, hip hop's going through that thing kind of now, which might be a good thing for us because let them start fighting each other. And then we come back with the, with, with, with the resurgence. But our fans seem to be so disjointed and so disconnected because everyone uh, plants a flag and becomes... It's very tribal. It's pure purity, you know. It's a purity there's, there's a purity, of course, you know. But like, that's that's every. Like I love Behemoth and I love some black metal, man. But you know, you you talk to a a black metal fan or or, or someone that's into like death metal, and they're like, "Oh, your your song's garbage," or "Your band's not heavy enough." Or you talk to a hardcore kid, and they're like, "That's not real hardcore." Yeah. You know. Oh, you like straight from the path? That ain't real hardcore. Oh, you like um, knock loose or some shit like that? Like, oh, those are kids trying to be fucking integrity, or they're trying to be. Such and such. No, that shit is real. It's pure, it's heavy, and it's true. And that's why kids are, are are becoming are leeching onto it and they're being somewhat successful. Yeah. You know, so get over yourselves in the attitude and let's go back to the days when it was like the Ozfest lineups where it was like when I first saw Mudvayne on the sanitarium uh the summer sanitarium tour. It was like Mudvayne and Metallica. It's like Mudvayne was playing out in the uh in the, the parking lot at Giant Stadium and I was blown away by this tiny-ass band. But they were playing a bill that really didn't fit them. And it but, didn't matter. But they took that opportunity for a ride and, and created yes. a lot of new fans. And Very much so. Listen, Metallica calls, you show up. That's Hell it. yeah. So we, we got to get over that, man. People got to stop with the, the ideas of this band's heavier and that's what is right and this is right and that this is pure and, you know, the metal purists. Yo, fuck all that, man. Is We got to... You know, a rising tide raises all ships. So if we're in it for each other and we're in it to win it, everybody should just be like, yo, support some, to support heavy music, man. It's fucking headbanging shit. Get into a mosh pit and shut the fuck up. Brother, I could not agree more. Thank you so much for being on the on the X-Men podcast. You, you're the, you're the Hell shit. Hell yeah. I was, yeah. I've been soaked on doing this, man. I've seen all the legends that have been on here. You know, I saw Byron was on there, man. I was like, yo, that's my dude. Byron with the gloves back in the day. Yo, uh, homie, homie, you you the next legend. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Thank you. Thank you so much, dog. I appreciate this, brother. Word. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Bowie. 
Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Come out on me, set up. No need to stress ya, no need for vex ya. Ah, 
song that song is called excuse me and it's from fire from the gods album narrative and i guess they re-released it and it's called narrative retold so i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did really happy for his success and the success of that band the, the record is actually very very good as well so please check that out Ooh. Worn out, guys. It's just, uh, you know, sometimes I do these late at night. It's about, it's about one in the morning now. And as you can see, sometimes I'm talking like, man, I think, I think Doc might be crazy. I think he might be losing it. You know, maybe, maybe, but it's fine. It's, it's more than likely I'm just, I'm just tired. So I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna live though. But yeah, we have a lot of great shows. Coming. I have so many shows in the bag. I'm gonna have to start releasing two shows a week just to kind of like burn some of these off. But yeah, I have some great shows coming up and I'm having a lot of fun doing this. Thank you guys for the support the show. Guys, I'm seeing the numbers. All right. Show is growing slowly, but surely we're getting there. We're going to, we're going to take over. Oh, guess what? I, I, uh, I guessed it on the Jasta show. So that'll be out. I think next week or something. So you, you know, that's a pretty big deal because Jamie was a big inspiration for why I started this. And that's just a good look for me. Hopefully some of his fans will check out this show. And it's a really exciting time. So I love all you guys. Mamba motherfucking out. Peace. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. 
I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.